Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. We've been going, as you know, through the book of Acts for quite some time now, and we were sitting around the campfire last night, and my daughter said, there's no end in sight. I hope, they get, I hope your sermons get better. So uh, I love my children and their honesty. So, uh, but the whole book of Acts is based on this one verse right here, Acts chapter 1, verses 8, and this is what it says. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so today, uh, we get to look at, uh, once again, the apostles telling and being witnesses about the gospel really to the ends of the earth as they're going along. And so last week we left, up, uh, left off on a very interesting uh, kind of verse that's just, that's just kind of in there, and then it just kind of goes on to other things. And it says this in verse 13, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga, there John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem, but Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. That just really caught me for some reason in the idea that John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. In a couple more chapters, we're going to find out that John Mark leaves them, and Paul is not very happy with John Mark. In fact, actually, Barnabas says, hey, we want John Mark to come with us, but uh, Barnabas says that, and then Paul goes, no, I can't trust him. He doesn't have the grit of what it takes to be, uh, to be uh, a witness for God, and so leave him be. And in fact, actually, we know that Barnabas and Paul kind of agree to disagree and go off to their own ways. And then later on we find in Timothy as Paul is writing a, uh, a letter to Timothy and he at the end of it says, just wait for John Mark to come. He's proved to be an amazing disciple of Jesus Christ. Wait for him and he will help you in the ministry. And so how do you go from being a guy who is a deserter, right, to being this guy who's, hey, you should wait for him. And I think it's all based on what we understand the gospel to be for us. And so today I've uh, labeled our sermon, uh, this is not cheap grace. This is not cheap grace. And we're going to get into that, but before we do, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we get into your word, would you, do only the, would you do the work only you can do, which is open up our hearts to hear your word, which is living and active, which can teach us how to see what's going on in our hearts and our own lives and, and align ourselves closer to you so that we can be your witnesses. And so God, move me out of the way. 
and speak your truth. In your holy name we pray, amen. Craig Groeschel wrote a book oh, probably uh, about eight years ago, and uh, he wrote a book called Christian Atheist. And his whole premise was this, is that we believe in God, but don't live like he exists. We believe in a God, the God, but don't live as he exists, as if he exists. And it kind of got to me a little bit as I was kind of reading through this scripture and just going, wait a second, what does that actually look like? What does that actually look like if I believed in a God but didn't live as if he didn't exist? And so I started writing a little bit of notes down and we're going to get to this scripture, but it would be saying, God, I, I believe in you, but... I don't believe that you can answer prayers, that I don't believe your scripture has anything for me. I don't believe that your Holy Spirit can guide me. I don't believe in the power of the cross except for maybe the fact that I can get into heaven relatively unscathed. We say things like this in our own mind, it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. We do things and don't find the don't realize the consequences until later on, and we don't want to be in the consequences anymore. And yet, the whole entire time, God is saying, "No, I, I have the right way to look at things. I have, and I can show you how to walk with me." And so, what would that look like today if we were people who believed in God and lived as if He existed? Because when we see John Mark, I feel that there is something missing in his life a little bit. I think that John Mark is just a young enough guy who he sees something happening and he says, I want to be a part of it, but doesn't realize the cost of what that means. He's on the side of Jesus simply because it seems like the great thing to do right now. There's this movement that I want to get myself a part of, he says. And then when he realizes the heartache and what it's going to cost, he falters just a little bit and takes a step back and goes, is this something I really believe? And so today, today that's what I want to do for you guys is I want to talk about taking the gospel seriously, looking at what the cross has done for, in, and through our lives. I think we oftentimes look at Christianity and just want to be able to put a rubber stamp on it and say, yep, that's it, I'm done. But there's so much more that I, I want to dive into and so much more that I think uh, Paul even talks about, but I, I don't want us to be the John Marks who start out in Acts and go, I want to be your witness, God, and then when it starts to become either a little bit difficult or we don't understand what's going on or we have a little bit of a crisis of conscience that we just walk away from it. If you haven't noticed in the past few, in the past month, we've seen, uh, we've seen a rather, uh, a pastor of a rather large church come out and kind of denounce, well, I just really don't like I don't like this whole church thing. 
In fact, actually, I'm not so sure about God. And he says, but I like some of the, hey, this is how you should live, but I just don't think that there is a God that would do this. There is the songwriter of Hillsong United that came out, and he said, I just, I'm stepping back away from religion right now. I don't think it has to offer all the things that we have to offer. Sure, I think it's good to have us be good people and do the right things, but I, I just don't know about what's going on here. We have churches that are arguing about whether abortion is okay, homosexuality is okay or not okay, and we don't, we'd rather have fights instead of actually looking scripture. We have a watered-down gospel which says, you're enough, just come in, you're fine, without teaching them that you are fine only because of the grace of Jesus Christ. You're enough because God has said you are, not because of anything that you've done. You see, and that's where I think we find ourselves this morning in this scripture passage because he lays it all out in front of us. And so I really just today want the Bible to speak and not much of me talking. And so we are going to read a lot of scripture together today. And I want this to be a time where we can see God move. And I'll interject every once in a while, but um, let's just get right into it. We're going to start in uh, Acts chapter 13 and we're going to be in uh, that 14 right there. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual reading from the book of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. It's really cool. They're getting together, right? They're, the, the people of Israel are getting together who are Jews, sorry, not of Israel, who are Jews. And what they're doing is they're reading scripture to go, how do we better live? They've been reading the book of Moses. And then they get this message that says, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them. <laughs> That's such a great statement. God put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and whining. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of ben Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel before he came. John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not. 
but he is coming soon, and I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, the message of salvation has been sent to us. The people of Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's word that are read every the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son, today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessing I promised David. The sacred blessing is this, is that through David's blood, Israel would be saved, or through David's descendants, Israel would be saved. This is Jesus. Another Psalms explained it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone who God ra- whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, There is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful, don't let the prophet's words apply to you, for they said, look you mockers, be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if somebody told you about it. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. So the rest of the story goes that Paul and Barnabas come back the next week, and it says almost the whole entire town came to the synagogue, and the Jewish people of the time, the Jewish leaders of the time, were not happy with how many people were hearing the gospel, how many people were turning, and so he said, so they told Paul and Barnabas to stop speaking to the Jews, and so Paul and Barnabas says, great, awesome, since you only have control of the Jews, we'll speak to the Gentiles, and so they turned, and they started speaking to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were ecstatic. They started cheering and clapping and saying, this is God. Can you believe that we actually have an answer for the aching that's inside of our bodies to know that we can be right with God, and so we will respond, So what happens is that uh, because all these Gentiles started responding, the Jewish leaders went to a whole bunch of 
uh, other people within the Jewish church and said, hey, let's get them out of here. And so what happens is, is they st- kind of start a riot and Paul and Barnabas end up leaving and walking out and shaking their cloaks as they leave. But I don't think that's the whole story or that is the story we really need to glean from this. I think that the story is what is the gospel message right here doing for you? Because he talks at the very last, uh, the very last verse, verse 43, I love it when he says, Paul and Barnabas urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. And if you're taking notes this morning with me, I just want you to write in this little line that grace is undeserved favor. Grace, at its very basic point, is undeserved favor. This blows my mind when you think about the whole, uh, whole story that Paul is preaching here to all these people. He tells them, God chose you to be a royal nation, a nation that would be a blessing to all other nations. And he set them up and he even made them strong in Egypt, which by, the, by in that time, Egypt was the strongest nation. And so, hey, we're going to, uh, we're going to grow as, as a, a mass of a people. We leave and then... Then they do something wrong. They don't trust that God can take care of them. They clearly see that, God, that they can believe in a God because God is leading them and directing them. And most of the time, they would rather not be with him. They believe in God but live as if he doesn't exist, even though he's right there in front of them. So he's constantly with them for 450 years. sets them up as a nation. And then they say, hey, we want to be like all other nations. Give us a king. And God's like, you don't need a king. You need me. No, 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 no. We definitely need a king. And so what does God do? Fine. I'll work through that too. So I'll give you a king. Saul, not the right guy. David comes along. This is the right guy. And if you know anything about David you know that he had his own issues. And God still says, no, I'm I'm still walking with you. I'm still going to show you who the Savior is. And so through David, I mean, story after story about how we do not deserve God to be anywhere near us. And God says, no, I desire to be with you because I want a relationship I find it very interesting that he starts with the setting up of Israel, not where man fell, where we ate the apple. Because I, th- I, I think that the people who are listening to him understand that they've been running this rat race of what sort of thing do I need to slaughter now so I can get in the good graces of God. So that, I can, so that I can be okay for the day when I die. I haven't met too many people in this age when they're on their deathbed aren't worried about some sort of afterlife. 
they have some sort of conflict. And what I mean by that in saying that is that I think all of us have an aching knowing and desire that there is a God out there that is holier than us, that has everything under control, that is a just God, that is a, is a good God. But we have a hard time putting it into perspective sometimes when we see everything that's going on around us. But it shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us, and we're going to go actually into Romans chapter 6 now, so you, you can flip there with me. Because if God is showing us undeserved fa favor, there's only one thing left that we can actually stand in front of God with, and that is our righteousness. And once again, if you're still taking notes, righteousness is this, is your ability to be found right. That's all righteousness stands for, is your ability to be found right. Put it in terms of a holy God, a God who is the creator and sustainer of all things, you will never be right. In fact, actually, uh, Acts 39 said, everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. I find, I, I find this unbelievable to me that the only, <laughs> the only way that we can stand in front of God is to be perfect. I had somebody come up to me this week and said, uh, and said I, I'm, ha I'm really struggling because somebody came up to me and said, I'm a, I'm a horrible person. And I, and, I, and I looked at her and I said, yeah, you are a horrible person. She was like, excuse me? And I was like, yeah, you're horrible. And so am I, and so is my wife, and so is my children. I mean, Jesus even says there's nobody good. So if that's the case... Then, then what hope do we have? And that's the whole entire gospel, right? That this is not just cheap grace. That this is not grace that just says, hey, you're okay. No, it is the idea that I know that I am not right at all. I so badly want to be right in every sort of fight and conversation I have with my wife, but she is always right. So I know kind of what it's like to be wrong all the time. There's sometimes when I'm right, y'all. I'm just boosting my wife's confidence. But in Romans chapter 6, I, I find this amazing part where it's, it is understanding righteousness and grace in action. If grace is the undeserved favor that God has been coming with us over and over again and saying, I'm going to put on righteousness to you because of my son Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you and being raised three days later, you are made right because of that. This is no small thing then for me. If I need grace to become righteous, 
it might, just might well up into something that God is calling inside of me to respond with. And I love Romans chapter 6 when he kind of finished this. And this is written by Paul as well. And so we're going to read this whole entire chapter together. And I love this chapter. Here we go. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised with him raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We, no longer, we are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When we died, he died, I'm sorry, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So guys, this is unbelievable to me. If we are just like Christ because we've died like him and we've raised like, been raised like him because he has done this. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. And live for the glory of God. Do not let sin con control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. feel like I just need to stop there for a second and say the grace is the undeserved favor that he has bestowed upon us to be right, to be right in front of him, to be able to have a relationship with him and to no longer white knuckle life through or try to be on this hamster wheel, but a desire to go, God, at any cost, I want to live in you. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can, we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slaves of whatever you choose to obey? Jesus says himself, you cannot have two masters. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads, check this out, which leads to righteous living. 
It doesn't mean we're righteous because of the living. It's because of grace that is bestowed upon us. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teaching we have given you. Now you are free from slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using this illustration of slavery to help you understand this. Previously, you let yourself be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. I love this. I I absolutely love this. And I want to tell you why. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do what was right. Because you didn't understand the grace that God was allowing you to have. You were not naive, that's not what I'm saying, but you had not received the grace yet, and so you were not under the obligation to do what is right. And what was the results? I love this. And what were the results? You are now of the shame, you are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that ended in eternal doom, but now you are free from the power of sin and become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Absolutely. And so, I want to end with this. So what is the cost then? What is the cost? Because I don't want you to leave going, oh, I have to do this and this, but I do want you to know that we are becoming holy. That's what God has asked us to do because the grace has been bestowed upon us, which is undeserved for us. There is a response from us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, which I'm gonna I'm gonna read from this, but you can put this in um, you can put this in your notes that what's the cost? And the cost is this. Grace is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. The cost, it is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives man the only true life. That's the whole point of this that I I absolutely love. Is grace compels us to desire the holiness. But it doesn't need to be cheap. And here's what I mean by that. I'm going to read from, uh, from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without requiring church discipline. It's communion without actually confessing anything. It's absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. That's cheap 
grace. It is this idea that we can just go around going, well, Jesus forgave me for that. It's going around ignoring all of all of the commandments that God has asked us to how to be the best fathers, the best husbands, the best co-workers, the best colleagues. It is all while going, well, at least I'm saved. That's cheap grace. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of a man. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which we must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son to dear a price to pay for our sins, but delivered up, but delivered him up for us. So essentially, I love this, costly grace is the incarnation of God. It is God right beside us every single step of the way. Him giving his Holy Spirit to say, would you please dive into a relationship with him and allow him to lead you and guide you, which leads us right back to Acts 1.8, which is this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, the incarnation of God comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the outer ends of the earth. It's a continually cyclical thing. It is, it is God saying, you can't do anything on your own, and so I will give you everything. You can't follow the law, and so I will give you Jesus Christ. You can't be holy as I am holy, so I will give you the Holy Spirit to help you out. Do you, do you see kind of the, the area in which I'm like, God, I don't have anything for you, and yet at the other end, I'm like, God, I got everything for you. I, got, I will give my life to you. God, I don't want to be enslaved by sin and the only way that I can be free of slavery is by understanding the cost of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and the strength of the Holy Spirit to live out life. In the moments in which I can't take one more thing of going, how am I going to get through today? The answer is found in the gospel. The answer is found 
in the book. It's not white-knuckling it. It's not going to somebody else and asking them what, they, what sort of advice they have. It is first seeking God. I can't tell you how many time, countless times I've had people come into my office and go, I'm done with this. I'm done with marriage, I'm done with uh, my, my job, I'm done with my kids, I'm done with trying to figure out all of these things, I'm done with trying to be X, Y, and Z. And the answer I've found the most helpful lately is have you laid down your life yet? Have you been willing to pass by other people's sins and look at your own and go, where am I not being the disciple of God? Where am I not allowing Jesus Christ to live in me? Where am I ignoring the power of God? Where am I saying, God, I I believe in you, but I don't believe that you can fix my marriage? I believe in you, God, but I don't believe that you can answer this prayer. I believe in you, God, but I don't think that you're fair. And that comes out of not understanding grace and not giving God the full heart. And so I left you with two questions this week uh, on your bulletin. And I know that I didn't do a fantastic job of defining grace as, as it might be, but this is where I'm at right now. In my life, I'm, I kind of am seeing this thing of John Mark going, if I see any more things, Lord, what, what's going to happen? Am I going to... Am I going to abandon you and go, I'm just not ready, or am I going to push in just a little bit more? Am I going to look at my own heart and go, where have I not fully accepted the gospel and where it's leading? Where am I willing to listen to the Holy Spirit day in and day out? Tell me my worth. Tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Tell me who I am. And it comes when I think I understand the absolute love that God has for us. The depths of what God is willing to do for us. The cost he's willing to incur to show us how much love he has for us. And in response, go, God, fine, you can have my life. And so while we sing this last worship song, and I'll invite the worship team to come up, but while we sing this last song, maybe you do need to just ask yourself, God, have I given fully to you? Or am I just playing this church game for the time being? And you know, I don't have to, I don't have to tell you or I don't have to point to you or, or anything like that. You, you know. I love the verse in Romans chapter 6 where it says you guys thought that you guys not you guys weren't under obligation for the law because you guys didn't know it and now that you do you know maybe today it's just simply a reminder of how much God absolutely loves you that you've been going on for a while and you just need to be reminded that look God ultimately loves you and wants to walk with you 
And he desires that. And so walk with that. Maybe you're in this room going, I haven't figured out grace yet because I'm still trying to do it all on my own. And maybe God today is saying, no, would you just maybe hand it over to me? I told somebody in, <laughs> I told somebody before the service, I said, you know what, I, this, this sermon that I had, man, I wanted some people, I, I wanted some people uh, to be here for it. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, if you tailored your sermon for somebody, man, you're absolutely wrong. I said, well, I didn't tailor it for them. I just wish they would have been here for it. And then he responded, the people who absolutely needed to hear this were here to this morning. And I hope that today the grace of God covers you so that you can walk out of here going, I want to be God's witness. So during this last song, would you just allow God to work in your heart as we sing? And I'll come back and pray. And so, dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your son. We thank you for the grace you bestow on us because you absolutely love us. God, would we walk in newness of life knowing that uh, your love has pursued us so hard. And that we couldn't do it on our own. We need you. So God, help us to be witnesses this week and help us to listen to your Holy Spirit to be something that this world is not seen. Help us to walk in mercy and love just like we have had from you. In your holy name we pray, Lord. Amen. Have a great rest of the day. See you all at four. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.